Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In this podcast, we chat about Borough's defeat to Birmingham. We chat about Joe Lumley and Marcus Tavernier whilst reflecting on George Friend's Borough career. Uh, we look ahead to Luton and West Bromwich Albion with thanks from We Are Luton Town and the Baggies podcast. This is the Borough Breakdown podcast and this is our match day chatter in a pod. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Avanelli spots out. Emerson! Hello and welcome to the Board Breakdown podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tom. We are the Board Podcast that gives you all the Board Rush to in a podcast. And well, a horror show in the second half yesterday gave Birmingham a 2-0 win at the Riverside Leaving Borough at 11th in the championship table. Guys, uh, this week, I'm going to ask how you to describe it in a meme. Tom, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go with the uh, you know the SpongeBob meme where he's just getting out with his chair and he's like, right, I'm going to head out. Because uh, <laughs> that was me around the 90th minute yesterday. <laughs> um, you know, Went to a match yesterday, possibly the worst condition I've ever felt in my life from a heavy night out on Friday. And then had to watch that on top of it. I'm surprised I made it that long. But uh, yeah, it just wasn't a good watch, was it? It it Especially not if you're hungover. But yeah, it was absolutely awful. You could have fell asleep in that in that second half, couldn't you? Uh, You got banned from the Riverside for that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, if you you were that hanging, I guess. But uh, Dana, how are you feeling in a meme? Yeah, my meme is Neil Warnock with his mask over his eyes in... I mean, it wasn't in disgust when he had his mask over his eyes. It was just that he was putting it on his mouth via his eyes. But it would probably have to be that because I just... I think I clocked out in that second half. I was too busy watching the the Borough fans in the East and um, <laughs> scrapping a bit with the Birmingham fans from the segregation, which was probably the most entertaining part of that second half, admittedly. The East stand become with the boys ender, like all the. Uh, <laughs> it is that. indeed. I mean, I'm gonna get flares out next. <laughs> Scrapping outside the stadium, <laughs> um, but for me, I'm gonna go with Hans Molman, the Boo Earns one. I just thought it was quite funny, just mainly because of the performance and the people at the end, obviously showing the discontent with the performance too. Um, but let's let's chat about the game then because Neil Warnock named an unchanged 11 uh, from the previous games against Birmingham. But there was a small tactical tweet, Dana. Um, Johnny Houser moved back into the midfield as a pivot. Um, 
but how would you assess the performance yesterday? And then we're going to move into the, the formation tweak in a second, but I just wanted to see how you would uh, assess the performance. It was the epitome of Borough against Birmingham at the Riverside. It was so scrappy in the first half. And ultimately, it could well have ended nil-nil, but for two mistakes, essentially. But nothing came off for us throughout the entire afternoon. Every time we tried to get the ball up the pitch, it kept coming straight back. Every time we tried to attack, nothing came off for us. And Birmingham won what felt like the majority of the second balls. Their midfield was definitely out battling ours. Um, every time that we had the ball, they stepped on us. They pressed quite aggressively and won it back. And all in all, it was a really bad afternoon for Borough. And I think Sparrow had about two touches in the box, which says it all, really. He had about 20-odd touches in total, which was the lowest out of the Borough team. Uh, we just didn't get him the service and it, it epitomised a really bad afternoon for Borough because just nothing came off for us. Um, so scrappy and winning the midfield battles and it'd be interesting to see what, what Neil Warnock was thinking on, on that front. But Tom, how would you assess the performance? We, uh, I know, well, you were very hungover, so everything seemed a little bit worse than, than usual, but how would you assess it? I just thought it was very disjointed. Um, you know, when I saw the team going into it, I thought that's great. It's like what I said uh, last week on the pod: just don't change a winning team. I was expecting a four-four-two, similar to the week before, because I thought that did work quite well against Cardiff. And then in the first half, you, you just kind of see Housen moving into the centre of midfield and us lined up in that three-four-one-two. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. And three-one-four-two. It just seemed like no one knew what they were supposed to be doing. Um, I, I just don't understand why he's made that change to to counter Birmingham. Um, you know, Housen, we said last week, is, has been great at right-back since he's had to play there. So I can only think that Warnock listened last week and thought, oh, well, I'll show them, I'll put them back in midfield. And he's... <laughs> Done, it worked. It's done awful. But um, no, there, there were times in that first half where like Matt Crooks was playing right back and, you know, Tav's getting isolated out on the right. Our best chances were coming from, from Hernandez over on the left, um, which to be fair, was working okay. He had a couple of chances, which he maybe should have done better with. But yeah, if it seems like the change in, in formation, the change, change in system just didn't work quite well. Um you know, Crooks and Piero were were playing well in the in the midfields uh, last week as a as partnership, and they just seemed kind of very disjointed. It seemed like we couldn't string two passes together at times yesterday. Um, and it's like Dan's just said there about Birmingham's pressing. Something I noticed was they were playing very high up the pitch, so all our clearances were either getting blocked by them or going straight to them anyway. It's just we couldn't do anything from clearing it, and then there were times as well where we were trying to play it out of the back when we really should have been clearing it. Um, I, th- I think yesterday kind of summed up it was just a lot of individual errors mm, You were saying individual errors there Tom uh, Dana you've been saying scrappy and, and you both mentioned the midfield battle um, so Dana the, the 3-1-4-2 then can, is that, do you think that's the reason why Neil Warnock maybe moved Housen in there do you think it was just to try and beef up the midfield a little bit and try and for Millsborough to win the turnovers and get the ball out wide for us to attack yeah, maybe as well he thought that Taith Chong would play. Uh, I did a bit of Googling of the sort of team news pre-match. Didn't catch anything about him being injured. So maybe it was a, a late injury. I don't know whether maybe my research is just path there, but maybe he expected Taith Chong to to be playing and have that pace out wide that Housen doesn't really uh, possess compared to Chong. So 
maybe it was that, but ultimately, as Tom said, it, it didn't work and it threw off a lot of good dynamics that have been born out of the makeshift defence. I thought Housing on that right was performing well and then that deep midfield pairing of Crooks and Piero was working well. And I think the back the back line was just it was it was good it was settled there was a lot that I think obviously as we mentioned with Matt Crooks deeper it changed our entire game plan because we didn't we didn't it didn't seem like we went long as much in a hopeful way it was more purposeful where we were bringing the ball out from the back and distributing it out from the back should I say but then he switched and I, I don't understand why he did it to be honest because I was expecting it to happen at some point but I wasn't expecting it to happen yesterday obviously Dyke Steele was back on the bench but he wasn't back in the side so I didn't really understand why he did it I can only assume as you've mentioned that it was to counter Birmingham but it, it counted ourselves in the end so then with the with the 3-1-4-2 you've seen Hernandez and Tav as, as wingbacks appreciate the both inverted so it made Borough a little bit more narrow of the pitch but I want to speak about Tav real quickly because he showed yesterday that he is a player that can be very inconsistent at time he does have a lot of talent we all know he does uh, but does it show, did it show yesterday that he is at this level at the moment and he just needs to show more consistency in his game to, to probably get to that next level he does and he's come under a lot of criticism of late and I understand it on a surface level point but He's a good player out of form and that's all it is for me. Nothing more, nothing less. And I've seen a few people mention that Tav always believes his own hype, which is a very dangerous narrative to create because you're essentially saying, in other words, that he's arrogant, that he's got an inflated ego. And I never see that with Tav. I really don't. I see a player that is eager, maybe sometimes over eager to do the right thing. And he's playing right wing back at the moment and he's doing his defensive duties with minimal of fuss and he's doing his offensive duties with a minimal of fuss as well. And he's a he is a fantastic player that works incredibly well. And the best thing about Tav is that even when things aren't going well for him, he keeps going and he, he picks himself up, he dusts himself down and he continues and he's still positive. It never knocks his confidence and that's admirable. And I think a lot of this existential conversation around Tav is when he's not playing well, it's always a question of, is he good enough? And what does he offer? And what does he offer is, is, is an interesting question. I've got a few stats here to, to reel off, so bear with me. But Tav, for players per 90 minutes in the Borough squad, is third for tackles attempted, fifth for tackles won, fifth in defensive duels and defensive duels won, Second for successive attacking actions, second for successful dribbles, uh, fourth for offensive duels, second for offensive duels won, third for progressive runs, second for accelerations, fifth for passes, second for expected assists, first for smart passes and key passes, third for passes to the penalty area, first for through passes and first for deep completions. So that's what Tav offers. You can say Bora are poor or awful or whatever, but if you take Marcus Tavernier out of that Middlesbrough side, Middlesbrough get 10 times worse. Mm. So just to put in perspective there, Dana, say I'm an alien and I don't understand some of those or some of those stats around me. Around me not maybe like defensive duels or like a case of being in the attacking third or most accelerations, etc. Could you break maybe like the last two down, two or three down around? Uh, I can't remember the last one was deep. Something I think I just missed that. Was the... Yeah, deep completions. I'll get the wide scale. Yeah, I'll get the Y scout. Um, 
you throw me in the bloody deep end here, Johnny. Well, uh, so, going, no, going, I've got yeah, it. I've got right. it here. I've got it. So a deep completion is a non-cross pass that is targeted to the zone within 20 metres of the opponent's goal. So that's what a deep completion is. So it's a case of when we're trying to paint this picture together, then you're trying to paint a picture of Tav. Uh, Tav has a lot of a high defensive work rate. He's enabled, he helps Burr get on the counter-attack. He breaks with the opposition's play, but then also offensively wise, he has one of the most crosses. He creates the most chances, but the assists is, you say second, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, assist is always a, a difficult metric to use against a player because, for example, I take the, the Cardiff game. Uh, he He made a really good cross in the Cardiff game and nobody got on the end of it. Now, is that a case of Tav being poor in his delivery? Absolutely not. It's a case of nobody gamble for it. So the assists metric is flawed. If you're going to use it against the player, you have to look at expected assists. He's second Mm -hmm. for that. So he should be getting more assists than he is. But of course, that's not his fault because if you... Because that could be a a striker, that could be the chance. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So like with with that, I think if, if you are achieving those most high numbers in terms of XG. You can see what Brentford have done with that model. Um, it's only a matter of time until that consistency hits. So is that what you're trying to say in there? He's a very, very good player. We're just waiting for that consistency to to start with Tav. Yeah, 100%. And I will say, I'll, I'll sort of put my ball prediction out. He's due a goal. <laughs> and, and that's easy to say because I think he's only got one this season. But he's... I think he's got the highest expected goals for us, which of course he's underperforming in that, which is, I mean, you can, that is a a criticism of him because his shooting, as we've mentioned, is wild and it's erratic and his composure, I mean, he doesn't really have the composure when he needs it, but he's, he's due a goal haul and and I think it will happen. And Mm. the thing with Tav is he is a Premier League player in the waiting. Uh, There's Premier League clubs that have looked at him and there's, there's no doubt that he'll be in the Premier League sometime soon. And that's because he's good enough for it. He just, like you mentioned there, I think he just needs that that consistency. And ultimately, he does need to start adding those goals and assists because for for a lot of fans, that's what they look at. Mm. So, Tom, with Tav, um, do you think his inconsistency is his, pro- his own downfall um, in terms of the fans' perspective? Because the fans... Can can be quite as a football fan, you can be very thick, fickle at times. You know, you can love the team one minute and hate them the very next week. Um, so with Tav and having it, having that inconsistency there, do you think that's why fans will probably get on his back a lot more? Well, I don't think it's his downfall, um, purely because I mean he's still young. Um, I was listening to BBC T's phone and yesterday, and Maddo was on about him. So he's still twenty two. He's he's going to be inconsistent at times. He's going to make mistakes and stuff. But also, since he was kind of brought into the squad and kind of emerged as as a, a prospect, he's always always been highly rated. He's always done stuff to make himself highly rated. And I think those expectations on him at the moment, while he's having a patch of inconsistent form, I think it just highlights him a little bit more. Same as Joel Lumley yesterday with them two mistakes, like, um, you, you know, it, it's more obvious when it's a when it's a goalkeeper because that's highlighted. I think because Tav's been so good in the past and you know built up these expectations on himself through his own good performances, um, I, I think everyone just maybe expects a little bit too much, just a little bit too quickly. Like I say, he is still young and he's a very good player. He's um, like Dan said, out of form. Um, so like I say, it's just a little bit more obvious with him. But uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll get back to form and then you know. 
start fulfilling the expectations that he's pretty much set for himself. Mm. He does very have high expectations, and we've all said he think he'll he'll probably will go to the top, uh, but it's a matter of time until he hits that <coughs> consistency. But Tom, you mentioned Joel Lumley there. Had a bit of a blunder yesterday. Um, now, I appreciate as a goalkeeper, you can make 100 saves and no one says a thing, but you make one mistake and everyone remembers you for it. Um, how would you assess Lumley this season? Because it's a position that's, of course, magnified and it's something that is very high pressure at times and one mistake will most likely lead to a goal. Um, but in terms of his statistics, you know he's 10th he's in, in, in shots saved. He's six for goals against. Got a much higher save percentage than, than Bettinelli last season. But, I mean, that wasn't hard. Uh, so, with, with Joel Lumley, what, how would you assess, his, assess him at the moment? Is it time to maybe stick or twist? No, I, I think it's time to stick with him. Um, look, I, I mean, yesterday... I would say both goals were kind of on him. The first one, I don't know what he was thinking coming for that ball. Um, there was no chance he was ever getting it. He's just left an unguarded net. Um, and the second one, I don't know if you guys saw this, but as the ball was coming through and Bamber and Peltier were trying to close Hogan down, he kind of came off his line as if he was going to come out for it, then went back, then came Stop out again, him. then made the, made the decision to commit, and it ended up being the wrong one at the wrong time. Um, that being said, and I don't want to kind of just sound like I'm using the same thing for both Tavin and Lumley here. He's still young as well in terms of a, a goalkeeper. Uh, you know, still 26. I would say that you know most goalkeepers aren't going to come into their prime for another few years at that point. Well, five, um, yeah. five years. He has been good this year. Um, you know, in, in terms of his shot stopping and stuff. It, the second goal kind of highlighted for me because Bamber and Peltier were going absolutely crackers with him afterwards for you know a lack of decision and a lack of shout. And that type of thing kind of makes me think of like Jason Stale vibes. You know, when he, he, he was kind of playing playing well for us in terms of his shot stopping, but he wasn't commanding his area. I think that's eventually what, what led to him leaving and obviously being replaced at the time with Shea Gibbon. Um, I feel like it's similar with with Joel Lumley in that he needs to improve the command of his area. Like I said, that'll that'll come in the next few years. Um, you know, with with experience as a goalkeeper, but he needs to learn from that mistake and and make sure he's doing that in his game moving forward. Mm. So, so with that, and, and you know, you mentioned Shea Given there. Um, so, if 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 there was a, a better keeper available, would you ever look to maybe to bring one in? to give more competition because you can see Daniels there. It looks to me that he's not going to get much game time anyway. Uh, so would you look to maybe bring uh, a hope if it was, if it was a keeper available, would you look to bring that in and maybe improve on that area? No, just because I think there's, there's other areas on the team, which, which needs to be addressed before goalkeepers even afford. I think that's very low down the list. The thing with Daniels is, and I remember at the time when we signed him, uh, a lot of Brentford fans were saying, you know, they were expecting him to be number one keeper um, and they weren't expecting him to come in to, to be a backup. Um, I, I'd say he's good enough to, to offer competition, but it looks like for me that Warnock is going to stay, stick with Lumley. Um, and I don't think you should be dropping him after, after one mistake because I'm pretty sure that would destroy his confidence. But... You know, Daniels is there to offer competition and also the goalkeepers can help each other. If, if you know, Daniels knows something that, that Lumley isn't doing, uh, like command of the area, I'm sure that can be addressed on the training ground as well. Hmm. So just to put the question to you, Dana, as well, and Tom's put a really good case up for Lumley, uh, but 
would you maybe look to see like to see Daniels in 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 that for the next game, or are you the same with Tom? Would you like to stick? I'm the same as Tom. I think a goalkeeping position is such a sacred position, isn't it? And it's so fragile almost <clears throat> that you can't drop him after that. If it's a case of he does it again and again and again, like Bettinelli was constantly costing Borough goals, then I think you have to make that decision. But right now it seems rather premature to just be like, right, you're out of the team. It's not, it's not anywhere near similar to, say, for example, a central midfielder has a bad game like potentially Housen did um, against QPR. And I think, didn't he get dropped after that? performance yeah I think he was dropped for Derby after that yeah he got dropped didn't he so it's not a case of it's like that it's as I said goalkeeper is such a sacred and fragile position that I don't think you can drop him after that I mean of course it was a bad day for Joe Lumley but I don't really subscribe to the belief that he's anywhere near Bettinelli levels of calamitous I don't really see that at all to be honest Okay, so you're both happy with him then. Um, so, but with the mistakes in, in mind, Middlesbrough did end up losing the game 2 0 yesterday. Um, it showed that Borough's record in general um, across the league is very, very interesting indeed. Um, Matt Rowney also uh, sent us uh, an image around content and perspective being needed um, around Middlesbrough's wins this season. Uh, so, just to give you uh, some facts and figures, guys. So, Borough's record this year has played five. Um, against the top half uh, teams, won none, uh, drawn two, lost three. Uh, but we've played 10 games against the bottom half of the table, uh, won six, drawn one, lost three. Um, Bristol City's the in 16th place is the highest team we've beat. Um, so does this show, guys, uh, where Millsborough are at the moment uh, under Neil Warnock, uh, an inconsistent championship mid-table mm-hmm. side, Dana? I would say so, yeah. And what I take from that is that I don't think we're going to get in the playoffs. And I know there was a Gazette article out earlier this week saying don't write us off, but I am going to go against that and write us off. It was by I Don did... Goodman, to be fair. Don Goodman. Was it? Oh, was it? it yeah. Oh, so, it was, it was, so Craig had, um, Craig or, or Dom had, had meant, I think it was sport yeah. for Don Goodman. And then Don was saying, you can't rule out Middlesbrough and Neil Warnock, you know, they're a top <laughs> six side. They're very dangerous for <laughs> set pieces. So... Oh, no, yeah, I, I took from that article that I am gonna, I mean, I'm gonna write us off, and it might be a bit early too because anything can happen in the championship, can throw up any old result. But I just don't see it with us, I think, especially if we do revert back to this house and in midfield. I know we already have, but if we keep that continuously in this run of games against the likes of Luton and West Brom, better opposition. I mean, Birmingham, to be fair, were better opposition than what we faced, Peterborough, Barnsley and, and Cardiff. But I just can't see us getting into the playoffs because there's a lot of questions still to be to be asked. And even after that run of three victories, I don't think Warnock was completely out of the woods um, because, as I mentioned last podcast, and I couldn't stress it enough, they were three very poor teams. So you have to, of course, you have to beat the teams that are below you. That should be a given, really, but especially with the squad that we've got. But coming up against teams that are higher in the league and higher in terms of quality, I can't really see us beating many of them, to be honest. Mm. Tom, are you, are you the same? Yeah, I'd say that at the moment. I think we're just we're far too inconsistent and we, we just don't show the the quality uh, against the higher teams. Um, you know, after that run of three games last week, I mean, like Dan said, there were three very poor teams, but 
Warnock had said something in the uh, the post-match interview after the Cardiff game where he said, after those three games, the players will start believing that they can't lose. And likewise for Cardiff, you know, they, they hadn't won in seven. They'll be believing that they can't win. I was fully expecting us to be taking that confidence into the Birmingham game um, and, and just, you know, building on that. But it looked a completely different team. And it, it just seems like, you know, making changes for the sake of making them. Like, we didn't have to adapt to, to play Birmingham at home. And yet he still did it. Um, I think it's that type of stuff that's causing the inconsistency. Uh, just, you know, pick one system, let them play, let the team play, and, and just keep going, let them build confidence like that. Don't just be changing it for the sake of it. Uh, you know, I think consistency is key here. And, you know, we're not showing enough of it and we're not getting the chance to either. Yeah, well, of course, the, the championship itself, it's the most inconsistent league in the world and the teams that are consistent tend to go up or, or get relegated if you're consistently bad. Um, but when you look at Middlesbrough in, in general, I thought yesterday was, was very intriguing. In, in general, I thought the way the way that we were much narrower on the pitch was interesting to me and we didn't want to stretch the game as much. I think when you see the likes of George Friend on one side who who isn't pacey anymore, you know, if you had someone like Isaiah Jones on that right-hand side, or you could have uh, flipped Hernandez on there. I think it would have been a really difficult day for George yesterday, but we didn't do that. We looked to try and play through Birmingham, which I thought was a bit of a mistake. I thought when you, when you play against these type of teams, they are compact and they need stretching because their game is very much long ball to Deeney or Hogan, head the ball down, win your second ball and try and get up the pitch. I think it shows with the passings. I think Tom, that you mentioned around long balls yesterday, both teams had 62 long balls. Borough actually had the more shorter passes um, in 265 and Birmingham to 196. But that, that kind of proves that Mills were trying to play through a team uh, rather than probably out wide. And I think that's why uh, we ended up losing the game yesterday, even though there was there was a couple of individual errors. But in terms of us uh, as a consistent side, trying to get in the in the playoffs this season, look, it, it's a case of, like we've always said, judges Borough at Christmas, see where they are. And at this moment in time, I think that we're kind of, where we should be. I want to sound like Jonathan Woodgate here, but I feel like the, the table was quite inaccurate last week where we were in sixth <laughs> position um, because we haven't beat the teams in and around us to deserve that place and we haven't been playing well enough to be there. But, I mean, we were there and it, obviously that's like a that's like an actual fact, but you kind of felt that we, we really shouldn't have been. Um, <coughs> but in terms... It's interesting. Sorry, Johnny. It's interesting that you say that we haven't, play well because I was sort of listing the games that we've played this season I can say three that we've played well in and I've been somewhat maybe not convinced by us but impressed by us and that's Sheffield United Barnsley and Cardiff and the rest of the games were either we were okay or we were average or we were poor or very poor and we were saying in the car last week, weren't we, that we have had a decent start to this season in terms Absolutely. of fixtures. Yeah, well, look at the look at the, the fixtures ten against the bottom half. Um, and, yeah, and once, well, yeah, okay, you've you've, you've won sixty percent of those, um, but you should be beating those teams in the bottom half if you want to be a team that is going to be fighting for a playoff place this season. Yeah, absolutely. And certain games like Derby, yeah, okay, they have an experienced backline with Curtis Davis, Phil Jagielka, for example, but they had a depleted team, mad with problems off the pitch. 
and then Reading completely depleted. I didn't realise that Tetek, their right back that day, was actually a defensive midfielder. He looked so comfortable. He pocketed Isaiah Jones. That was a very poor display. As I mentioned last week, Bristol City were poor. There's been other games as well. Hull, of course, we give them the charity three points when they need it the most. Why wouldn't we? We did it two seasons ago. We've done it again this season. So even despite those three victories, I know I sound like proper morning Myrtle, uh, very appropriate after we've lost, but it didn't really seem to me as though like we've had a, a good start to the season despite being sixth last week. I still yeah. categorise it as disappointing given the, yeah, the teams that we've come up against. Absolutely. No, I agree with you 100%. D. I think there's, um, the, when you, people say about the expectation levels and we're trying this and people could potentially say that, oh, well, you, you just want Borat win every week. I think everyone would want Borat win every week and expect that ex- ex- expectation. And in terms of playing well, it's how you define playing well as well. And for for me, when, when Borat get on the front foot and try and quicken the play a little bit more, um, I think that's when we, we do show good signs and create good chances. I think there's been a lot of games this season where I think you can probably look at across the whole of Borough Twitter or on social media or on the radio that I think a lot of fans have just been like, this. these have been meh performances and we're getting results. And it always comes back down to the argument of what would you prefer, style or three points. Fans do want three points, but when they don't have style with that three points, they more because it's not good enough. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very intriguing conversation to have. But in terms of fulfilling that potential and getting up to the top six again, because it's a very, very tight league and a couple of wins can do that. Um, how do you think Borough can can start fulfilling that potential again, showing that that level of performance we want to see, Tom? How, how do you think we could do that? Is it with the management staff? Is it with the players? Is it just a level of consistency we need to hit? I, I think it's consistency at, at all levels. Look, I was watching Match of the Day this morning and after the United Spurs game yesterday, uh, there was actually a, a quote from Nuno in his uh, post-match press conference. They asked him, "Is it unrealistic to, for you know Spurs to improve? You've been here for what ten games now?" And he said, "It's it's realistic to expect better." And I, you know, I, I heard that and applied it to the same to Borough. I think it's realistic that we should expect better from this team. You know, I think Dan has said that on on multiple occasions. Uh, you know, she believes that the, the team can be better. We've clearly got the personnel here. Uh, to be better it's just we can't we're, we're not cohesive as a team and we're not utilizing the players that we have to the best of the potential um you know I, I don't want to kind of go all out and just say like I've changed the manager but I've it's got that feeling to me kind of the same as like when when Marbury was manager where we'd be chopping and changing quite a lot there was never any consistency and then you had Karanga come in, say, right, we're playing 4 2 3 1. And then he was getting performances out of players like, you know, Emmanuel Ledesma, who had previously not been anything to shout about. So I think it's the same kind of thing here. I think, you know, if another manager came in and, and there was, you know, a consistent formation, you know, we could be getting better performances out of all the players. That's not to say, like, in the last week they haven't played well, because I thought they did and that a lot of the team and coaching staff deserve credit. But yesterday was, you know, appalling in terms of the decision-making, both, you know, formation-wise and on on the pitch, um, you know, like I say, individual errors. So it's like it goes back to what I said earlier. We need consistency. We need to pick a system and, and stick with it. I said at the start of the season, it looks like we're lining up, well, building the squad to be able to play quite a few systems. And I think I was right, but he's not selecting the right systems for the right games. Um, 
you know, I, I think we should just be sticking with one at the moment to to get the best out of the players that we have. Uh, and chopping and changing all the time, it's not going to, to help with doing that. So how? So the difficult question for you then, Dana, is how do you get the best out of what you've got? I think you look at the squad and you see where you can go with it, really. I think, obviously, we've got West, our West Brom analysis to come later, but one of the big parts of their... I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of Valerian Ishmael because, and a big part of it is because he doesn't adapt to the options that he's got. I don't think he has the team to play like how he did with Barnsley last season. I think with Borough, I do see a lot of good technical players, as I've mentioned, to put or to bypass the midfield is annoying, to put it bluntly. But I think as well, you know, you've got Isaiah Jones there. I don't know why he's not playing. I don't know why he's not starting. For me, he plays over <laughs> Hernandez every week. I think Hernandez epitomised. I don't really want to single him out, but I'm going to. Um, he epitomised the game yesterday because for all the, the neat exciting footwork it was easy bait for the easily pleased because he had one good cross where Uche unfortunately didn't get the header on target but other than that it was just predictable for the I think they had um, John Graham on that side and it just didn't it just didn't work he kept trying to cut inside he was dragging a shot I think he dragged a shot wide when he did cut inside and then when he went on the outside he wasn't beating his man with the crosses so I think for me John's over Hernandez um, I think potentially moving Tav centrally. I know I've mentioned before I prefer Matt Wide, but maybe moving him there would be better. But then who do you play on that right hand side instead of Tav? It's it's an interesting dilemma. But for me, I think you've got to try to harness that technical ability in the right way. And for me, the right way is to play through midfield, to keep playing through midfield, to maybe play a little bit risky. Yeah, you're going to sacrifice a little bit of defensive stability, but I mean we we didn't we we don't really have that anyway do we so play on the front foot that's all I really want Borough to to do and we did do that in those three games I know I keep saying that we played against poor opposition but there's still plenty of positives to take from those games I'm not dismissing that whatsoever the positives in it were that we'd be playing on the front foot and maybe it's a bit naive to go into games like against Luton and, and West Brom playing that way but I think we've got the technical ability and the quality to take us through or to trust that the players will take us through those games. And yeah, we're, we're just, it's disappointing really to see the players not playing well in these games because it was really poor yesterday. Hmm. Well, we do have a young squad, so that inconsistency can can definitely show uh, week in, week out. And you can't always, you know, you can't put Neil Warnock in goal. Uh, to, you can't stop those decisions. You can't, you can't stop those bad decisions being made either. So it's difficult for the management staff at times, I think, because they can't, stop errors happening errors happen across the pitch but the way that one sets teams up can can quite minimalize that at times so it's like thinking one or two steps ahead where if you know that there's a high risk of an error being made you can put uh say like say if tab was the high risk error that could be made you can always put a midfielder next to him to kind of stop that that initial attack or transition so you work on like the high press on the, on the, on the touch and then you you start to move your squad back from there so like two or three passes and you start to move back into shape I don't think we actually do that I think we're a bit all over the place at times um, but again like look, it, it is it can be quite difficult uh, when you're a manager I think there's I think Neil Warnock hasn't got the best out with his current squad I think he's I think that was his 20th defeat in the calendar year was it maybe 21 20, 20 to 23rd 
Um, I think he had like a 28% win rate um, until last week in 2021. So it's clear that he's not getting the results, but there's a team there that is it's kind of stuck, they're stuck in gear a little bit. I feel like they're just that just trying to get out. And as soon as they do get out, I think they'll be very, very good. I think as soon as we hit that consistency level, I think there's a, there's a team there that could probably challenge the playoffs. But I think there's a, I think the realistic view, and I'm not writing them off yet, but I think it's, it's definitely mid-table at the moment unless we, 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 we see some sort of change in the, in the way we manage games. Um, but moving on, we'll, we'll chat about George Friend for a little bit because the, the Boroughman, the former Boroughman now, is, played 299 games for Middlesbrough, went on to Birmingham uh, last season. Um, but I just want to have a chat about him because it was nice to see him return. But how would you, how would you sum up George Friend's time at Middlesbrough? Because it was very, very nice to see him yesterday. And it was interesting to see if he absolutely pocketed Tavs at, Tav at times. Uh, and he t- pocketed Uche as well when Uche moved over that uh, right-hand side at times too. Um, but Tom, George Friend, how would you sum up his time at the Buddha? Probably one of the best uh, value for money signings we've ever made. I just worked it out there quickly on my phone. That 100000 that we paid for him works out with £334 a game that we played for, for all that time and, you know, worth every penny of it and, and even more because what a player he was. Um, you know, I, I think the reception yesterday was telling of, of just what everyone kind of thought of his time here, uh, you know, deserved the, the the warm welcome really. And the, I don't think there's many players who would come back to a club and, and get that sort of reception. Dana? Yeah, he's a Middlesbrough legend to me, not only for what he did at the football club, but what he did off the pitch as well. His work for the MSC Foundation cannot go unmentioned here. I think he's such a he's such a humble, down-to-earth man and somebody that really understood the area and the values of the people in the area and definitely an adopted Teesider. I know that definitely gets banded around a bit, but it has to be attributed to George Friend, an absolute legend. Really annoying that he, he left on 299 appearances, but at least that potentially opens the door for a, a final unofficial 300th uh, game. But yeah, a fantastic player and and somebody that is is a legend of, of Middlesbrough, in my opinion. Very cliche, but ever seeing back at the club in a, in a coaching capacity, very, very cliche, that, isn't it? I can see it. I can see it as... I think he would make. A, I, th- I feel like he would make a decent assistant manager. You know, to sort of rise through that that way. But he did take charge. I, I do seem to remember he took charge of a game once, charity game, I think. Um, and he just looked so much of a manager. It was untrue. So I wouldn't be surprised. But to be fair, he does have a sports journalism degree, doesn't he? So you could well see him in the media as well. He does. He could be like Trent Grimm from the Independent of Ted Lasso. Um, oh, you don't watch it, do you? Oh God, that was not yes. If someone listening well, has watched Ted Lasso, then you would have fully understood that reference. Um, and I was going to say Grant Ledbetter as well. He returned yesterday for a very, very brief cameo. Um, I could definitely see Ledbetter back in some capacity too. I think under 23's coach is just screams Grant Ledbetter, doesn't it? Have you been looking at my football manager saves? Because I've got Ledbetter no. running the under 23's with George Friend as his assistant. That's what I like to see. Clayton's just, a, a, just a tackle coach or something like that. But yeah, uh, Ledbetter reminds me a little bit of Roy Kent from uh, Ted Lasso as well. So, I mean, you just need to watch it because it's absolutely brilliant television. Um, and I'm not getting paid to say that. I wish I was, though. Uh, but quickly, before we move on um, to our breakdowns of this week, favourite George Friend memory? What would you want to go for? 
I've got one. I'm going to Go say on. the goal against Derby at the start of 2016 because that was a really big game for Borough to basically send a message to the rest of the division that we're meant to stay here because we've seen a, a typical tumble down the table in January. I'm thinking mostly under Tony Mowbray and that was a pivotal game really in that season. And I remember when Albert Dormer scored that first goal, the Riverside went mad. But then when George Friend scored and wrapped up that victory, the Riverside just erupted. It's funny actually listening or watching the highlights back because if you listen, you can see that the sound engineer or whoever it is turns down the volume because it was just so loud. The Riverside went absolutely mental. Everybody piled on top of him. And that was probably that and him taking a bit of a hit on the stanchion in the build-up to Adam Farshaw's goal against Reading. I think that's a, an underrated and underappreciated George Friend moment. <laughs> so, any, well, any more for any more? Uh, mine was going to be the, the Derby game, but instead I'm going to say every time he was at the left-hand side of the opposition's penalty area because you knew what was going to happen every yeah. time. But he somehow Didn't pulled do it, it yes, off sir, every did he? time. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm glad because it probably would have led to another goal for them. But, you know, that it's just uh, an iconic thing. You know, I've done that at seven aside quite a lot and shouted George Friend while I did it. Like, it's it's not weird, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Gerard moment, isn't it? But our yeah. Gerard moment. And make trying to make someone Tom I, I make you on a regular basis, so we'll keep it quiet. Um, <laughs> but right, let's move on then, guys, and break down uh, this week. Um, but just before we do that, a quick message about a partnership with the Motor Neuron Disease Association. Uh, thanks to you guys, we've raised £1,100 uh, for the charity so far, and this goes a long way for us um, with, in, in helping with research and care people who have been recently diagnosed with the disease. Um, so if you can keep continuing to donate to our, our fundraiser, we are going to be doing raffles and, and walks and, and stuff like that uh, to help raise more money. Uh, but if you can keep donating, that'll be absolutely perfect. Um, but let's look ahead, guys, to Borough's trips away this week, Luton Town and West Brom. Um, but this week we spoke to Ian from the We Are Luton Town podcast and Louis from the Baggies podcast to get a preview of what is expected from our away games. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, it's Ian Robertson from the We Are Losing Town page. So we set up really with um, three at the back, two wing backs, two old midfielders and a, an attacking midfielder, and then two up top. Um, our style of play really has, has kind of changed this year. Uh, we've gone for more athletic uh, field to us, so we, we've got a very high press, like to try and press and get the opposition to you know, make mistakes and, and capitalise on that really. Um, we've you know kept quite a few clean sheets as well, so quite solid at the back with a three centre-backs in Lockyer, Bradley and Naismith, which is, has been quite resolute for most of the season, apart from, apart from yesterday, we didn't do too well. So, um, yeah, so very attacking, very athletic, um, and we like to play on the front foot. So, yeah. Um, players, well, we've got two of our main contributors this year, this season are, are currently out. We've got uh, Berry out and Adebayo. Um Adebayo might be fit for Tuesday. We're not quite sure yet. He's got a slight hamstring issue, so we might not risk him. We might, but he wasn't playing on Saturday. Um, Berry might be a tad longer, so they're not playing. But in terms of, of, of who uh, we've got possibly playing on Tuesdays to look out for is Harry Cornick. Um, obviously, he's contributed quite a few goals this season. He's very quick on the wing. Um very quick up front, very good at pressing, pressing the opposition. So hopefully uh, he'll be playing, but hopefully Adebayo's back as well. Uh, it's going to be a, a tough game. I mean, I know you guys haven't had um, probably the start to the season you've wanted, but you've had a few good results lately, apart from Saturday like us. But um be a difficult game for my household, actually, because my missus is a Middlesbrough supporter. She's from Stokesley, so not far from you guys. Um, so it's a bit of a household rivalry, that one. But... Uh, so we're going to go on Tuesday and hopefully uh, hopefully we can come out with a win. It's Tuesday night under the lights at Kenilworth Road. We normally play very well under under the lights on a night game. So hopefully we can come out with a win. Um, obviously the last time we played you guys at Luton on the night, it was free all. And that was a hell of a game. So hopefully uh, the football's just as good. And uh, But hopefully we can come away with the win. Hello guys, Louis here from the Baggies podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Here to give you a little bit of an insight into West Brom ahead of our fixture against Middlesbrough. So yeah, a little bit about how what you can expect from West Bromwich Albion and what you can sort of look to look to experience when when we play you guys. Um, we're going to p- obviously play a three four three, which is something that I think Valerian Ismail swears by. There's there's been times in the dying embers of games where we've really needed to change to a four at the back, and he still hasn't done it. So. Tells me for the life of me that he's he's never going to change that formation. It's going to be a three four three. A lineup tends to be something along the lines of Johnston in goal, 
Uh, tends to be a back three of Bartley, Ajayi, Clark, with Connor Townsend and Darnell Furlong being the ever-present wing-backs so far. Then, in the centre midfield positions, we tend to have Moa and Livermore. Depends on injury and suspension, however, for our game, whether, that's still, whether, whether that pairing will still be kept together. The front three is fairly interchangeable, but it, it tends to tends to go something a little like um, Grant and then Robinson or Hugill and then Phillips on the right. So, yeah, it's quite interchangeable in that front three, but the rest of the side and the spine of that team tends to stay relatively the same. In terms of what players you should look out for from West Brom and, and how we're kind of going to play, in terms of how we're going to play, I think it's going to be high pressing as, as it probably always is. I know, I know that you guys um, have had a very good run of form recently and it all depends on this Fulham game really on the weekend, whether that whether our good form or our confidence is brimming really. We're going to probably bring out a high press and a nice physical game style. Tends to be fairly direct, however... In terms of teams that are a bit more physical, we tend to play a shorter passing game, which ends up a little bit more um, more fruitful for, for Albion, really. When, when going forward, we tend to play shorter and it tends to work out a lot better for us. So I think it's working quite well in terms of the shorter passing game when playing against physical opponents. So it's possible that we could bring that out against Middlesbrough. Obviously, Neil Warnock likes to get his side very competitive and that's something that we could potentially bring out if things aren't going our way throughout the game. In terms of players to watch out for, I think um, a player that's been in in great form so far has been Carlan Grant, who's been really working his socks off in the strike in the left wing position, cutting him from the left uh, onto that right foot and blasting near post finishes past uh, quite a few goalkeepers. Now I think he scored six in six uh, over the past six games, so he's been in really good form. So he's definitely somebody to watch out for. In terms of our most probably important player, it possibly has to be Connor Townsend, who provides such great width and cross and tenacity down the left-hand side it's it's almost crucial that he is in the lineup for for the for this particular game so yeah i think uh, those two are really ones that you need to watch out for they provide a very good combination going down that left-hand side so now for how i think the game is going to pan out i feel like it's going to be um quite a tight one obviously you guys have been in some really good form uh seeming only to win or lose games 2-0 at the moment but i think um i think we 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 get, to give ourselves a fighting chance. We have to kind of ditch that direct style of play against more physical sides, and I think that happened against Cardiff, where we won four 0 Where a side was against a very physical side who wanted to beat us in the air, wanted to sort of match us across the park, and we played a shorter passing game and passed it round them rather than passing it at them, which is obviously what they'd wanted to compete physically. So I hope we do quite something quite similar against you guys. Obviously, it's going to be a difficult game, as I mentioned. Neil Warnock likes to make his size knights and uh, all organised and you guys have been in some good form recently so yeah I think it's going to be difficult and it just really depends on on this Fulham game really as to whether we'll be broken whether the side will be broken or whether um we're going to go into the game brimming with confidence and I think that's really the ultimate telltale for 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 the season really we we need to take those wins and take those confidence from these wins uh, obviously at the moment coming in with plenty of confidence to the Fulham game after a really good win against Bristol so yeah, in terms of a prediction, I'll go for 2-0 West Brom as I have to keep with the Middlesbrough trend of, of winning or losing 2-0. But yeah, it's going to be a very interesting game and I'm looking forward to seeing how you get how we get on with this one. I think it's going to be very interesting and uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, I've been Louis Bent from the Baggies podcast.
Okay, guys, so Luton first. Um, nice of Ian as well to say that his, his partner is a Borough fan as well. So hopefully <laughs> uh, we can have a Borough, a Borough win when we go away on Tuesday night. Um, we picked Luton to be a, a surprise package this season, guys, in, in our preview show. Um, so Dana, before before we, we break down Ian's analysis there, but are, are, you, uh, are you not surprised by Luton the way they're playing this year? You know, they've obviously changed styles, of course, but you're not surprised to see where they are? I'm not surprised. Well, I mean, they're 11th now, aren't they? They were in the top six. I, I'm expecting them to end up in the playoffs, to be honest, because I think Nathan Jones and Luton just seem to go so well together. And they, I mean, you did mention Adebayo there. I actually hope that he's not um, in the team and that he doesn't recover from that injury because he's a very good player. I believe he's got seven goals for them uh, this season. A, a big threat. I think Harry Cornick has definitely stepped up as well um, with Norkin and Dewsbury Hall at the club this season, of course, gone back to Leicester. So I'm not surprised, to be honest. They've got a really good unit. They seem quite structured and, and quite well oiled, really, under Nathan Jones. So I would definitely expect them to be in the playoffs. And I wouldn't really be surprised to see them there because I just think, as I said, he's just got them playing and, and they've got some really good players. I think, as I mentioned there, Adebayo, I think he's a fantastic pickup for them. So I, I would expect them to be in the playoffs uh, this season. And I'm interested about the game on Tuesday. I think it's going to be a good one. I thought you said Adebayo for a second there. I was like, Emmanuel Adebayo, is he playing for uh, Luton? No. I, I might um, put the R on the end if I did, Adebayo, I apologise. Adebayo. Um, Adebayo. Adebayo. Uh, so... <laughs> Based on the analysis, what do you think Bor have to do to, to overcome Nathan Jones's looting then? Because Dana is expecting a very intriguing game. Are you expecting the same? But what do we have to do to get uh, past them? I, I think with them play, trying to play more of a high-pressing style now, uh, I think it's going to be important to defend a little bit deeper, win the ball back, but also I want to see Crooks and Piero playing a little bit deeper as well. Reason being, I think Crooks and play, uh, can break up the play quite well and we can sort of use Piero as, uh, as, as a pivot, really. Um, when you, you look at the options up the pitch, I'm, I know Uche might be a bit of a doubt for Tuesday, to be honest, even if, even if he does... Um, Past the fitness test, I'd probably go with Watmore uh, up top with Spira, Um and probably Tav and Hernandez out of sides, even though probably Sims dinner. I do want to see Tav a little bit more centrally now. Um, and then kind of use uh, use Piero as that pivot to be playing balls to them on the counter-attack. Uh, I think that's the probably going to be the best way to go about it is kind of try and soak up the pressure a little bit, have a back four, don't have House in the midfield, have him at right back. Um and yeah, like I said, just be trying to, to hit them on the counter attack because I think we've got pace there. Uh, I think you know Spira's movement's great up front. We just need uh, some way to kind of unlock that, uh, and I think that's the the way we can kind of undo their pressing. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to add to that as well, when you say more like uh, run the pace and, and so running the maximizing our pace, but then also sitting in deep and. Understand, uh, soaking the pressure up a little bit more. Uh, I think with that, if we're able to win the ball back quickly and play through the press, I think we'll be. It's a very high risk, high reward strategy. But I think if we can do that, I think we'll create chances. And if we do create chances, hopefully we'll put one away. Um, but Dana, Tom, what are your predictions for the game? Or do you want to do a bit more analysis before you go on? He's feeling. Oof, no, I'm going to predict. I'm going to go with. Oof. I'm going to go one all for this game. Okay, one all for Dana. Tom? I'm not quite that optimistic. I'm going 2-0 Luton. 
So well, continuing October um, into uh, November, are we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's insane that no, we've had six six no games in a row. Two them. <laughs> no goal. <laughs> um, I'm gonna. You know what? I think Borough can. Uh, I can uh, can maybe get a result. I think there's. I think I would take a draw all day away at Luton. I think that they're a very very good side this year under Nathan Jones. I think the they're going to cause us probably a lot of problems at times. And I think it's just how we manage the game, especially in the early stages. Um, but I'm going to go with you, Dan. I'm going to go over one-all draw. Um, I think we'll salvage something right at the end, even though we've been battered for a full 90 minutes. Um, I think that's just a very typical Borough win. Hopefully those type of draws to spark some sort of reaction. And when Middlesbrough go ahead to West Bromwich Albion, um, who are third in the championship table now, and one of course one of our favourites to go up. And, and Louis was mentioning now in his breakdown that they, they needed a result yesterday against Fulham. They didn't get one. Um, so we'll be interested to see how they, they come into the game. But guys, based on his analysis and based on your analysis too, they're a team that can be very direct, but then also can play quite a short passing game, um, especially the show that against Cardiff where they absolutely thump them as well. Um, do you worry about this game at all? But, or do you, can you see maybe Middlesbrough getting a result? Do I don't worry about it. I don't worry about West Brom at all. I think I've seen a bit of West Brom this season because they always seem to be that Friday <coughs> night game on Sky without fail, well, apart from <laughs> this weekend. But... They're a team that, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think that the Valerian Ishmael of West Brom is anywhere near the Valerian Ishmael of, of Barnsley. I don't think they've got the personnel for it. And having a dip into their forums, a lot of their fans are saying that their their press has gone, that I think their fitness has waned a bit and their, their high press just isn't really there anymore and they play with a very high line so they're vulnerable from balls over the top a lot of people made the point of diagonals uh, diagonal balls are quite dangerous against them there was a stat on sky i think that said that recent teams play 20 or 30 percent more long balls against west brom um just because of their vulnerability from them so there's that and i think there's also what Valerian Ishmael has come under a lot of um, criticism for is a lack of a plan B. And I did mention, I think it was last podcast, their game against Birmingham on Friday night a couple of weeks ago. I had to literally walk away because it was so bad. The quality was so poor. And I'm going to say it now. I do not like the way that Valerian Ishmael plays with this West Brom side. I think that type of... I mean, it is direct, it is long ball, but it mm-hmm. just isn't the same as what it was with Barnsley, which even last season when we went to Oakwell, it was mind-numbingly bad, um, the way that the game unfolded. But it's probably the type of football that is better for a, a team that is maybe underdogs, but for a West Brom, they probably expect more quality. I mean, they did have Tony Pulis, and it does seem as though this style of play is a distant cousin of Tony Pulis. And I'll just say what my my uh, baggies friend Ben said he started the message actually when I asked him about West Brom with oh mate which is never good but he said that it hasn't been good for for a few months now um we don't seem to be able to press like we did in the first few games so it's just kind of like hoof ball he said it just looks like a bunch of players who have never played together before but we have one really good passage to play or one of our better players will do something like Callum Grant against uh Birmingham and they'll get away with it um but he also says that we're not anything that you should worry about. We'll be long ball up to Hugel, stop our wing backs and get behind our very high line and you'll cause us problems. So I feel like this is a game that Borough could could well get something out of. 
think it screams Jonathan Woodgate 2-0. Uh, mm. Fletcher scoring from about 50 yards. Screaming. Yeah, I think we've we've got a good recent record at the Hawthorns, I believe, because there was that mm-hmm. game and then there was the, the Brick game when he scored yeah. the, the, the winner in the 3-2 win before that. So we've got a good record there. Are we do indeed. Tom, how are you? How are you feeling about West Brom? What are you, going to, what are you thinking? Kind of the, the same as Dana, but also there's that, that little bit in the back of my mind, which is like, I think going into this weekend, we're in the top three long ball teams, us, West Brom and Birmingham, with West Brom <laughs> being first. And I was like, I couldn't cope with Birmingham. Can we really cope with them? Uh, and then it's like you just mentioned there, we've got uh, Hugo up front, who, you know, seemed to love a goal against us. And then also uh, Carl and Grant, who I've seen a little bit of this season. Uh, seems to be doing fairly well at times um, yeah. and purely because I sold him on footy manager a, a couple of years ago because it was rubbish. I expect him to come back <laughs> for that. But um, no, um, I'm hoping for a result there. Um, but, you know, like I said, there's lingering doubts. He was my Garland Grant was my uh, golden goose on FIFA last year for I did, I did an Ondelex save and he was my golden boy. He, he just he just couldn't stop scoring for me. But uh, does that show like the Belgian league's quite poor or is is Carlin Grant actually just really productive on FIFA? Um, but in terms of the long balls, guys, I know Danny you mentioned that teams play thirty percent more long balls against West Brom. That would mean those who will play eighty one long balls against them. If you want to put a little bet on that, if you can anyway. Um, Interesting. But that, Eighty-one long balls. If we want to do that, but let's do our our predictions then, guys. Because the Hawthorns, yeah, you said then it's a happy hunting ground for Borough in the last few visits. Um, but let's see what what you're thinking. Win, lose, draw, abandon game. What are you thinking? <laughs> I'm gonna go with a win actually, but I don't know the exact scoreline. <clears throat> I might go with I might go with a one nil. A one nil win. Any goal scorer at all? No, never mind. <laughs> no, um, oh, goal scorer. I don't have a clue, to be honest. Sparrow, we'll go Sparrow. I think Sparrow and what more if they play might have a good game against them if that high line is actually as high as I'm expected it to be. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, you could maybe see Uche flick the ball on to, to Sparrow, Joshy Corburn, maybe put him in there, flick it on. Long Potentially, ball, yeah. The press, diagonal yeah. ball. Definitely an area to exploit that high line for sure. We did it against Barnsley, so mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, the quality of Barnsley is not the quality of West Brom, is it? But still, <laughs> not at all. Uh, Tom, what are you feeling? Are you thinking that a W or a draw, loss, abandon? Um, go on one one draw. Um, I'm sure we'll probably end up scoring, but uh, yeah, it'll be Hugo or, or Grant get the other one. Okay, well, are you going to see for Borough then? Are you going to, are you going to say are you going to say Spira as well or? Um. No, I'll go Piero. Piero, huh? I'll go for a free kick or something. Because I thought thought he came close at free kick yesterday. Which that was uh, was our best chance in terms of XG yesterday. Yeah, I saw uh, uh, what was it like a heat map or something of the XG on on Twitter, Mm. and just the fact that 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 circle was like higher than everything else in terms of XG. I couldn't click on the bloody others; they were that small. I know you've seen it on Twitter, uh, Tom, because Dana posted it. Um, yeah, that was it. Uh, <laughs> Still half asleep from Friday. <laughs> we'll, for my Sorry. prediction, then, I'm going to go with 2-1. I'm going to go with a Sol Bamba winner. Um, yeah, so, so Dana, you're going to go with four points from the week. Tom, you're going to go with one. 
and I'm going to go four points as well. And I think that'd be a, a very solid return for the week. Um, but that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, thank you very much for joining me as always. And to listeners, thank you very much for listening to us uh, too. Uh, but this has been the Board Breakdown podcast. And that was my master chatter in a pod up the Board Breakdown. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 